Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out what it's like to live in a world that's beyond your imaginations. So we have to do it for you. Hmm. The world of pure imagination? Where you too can be a purple glob and get squeezed out in the, in the pressing room. <laughs> Didn't Disney do something like that? Yeah. This week we are talking about uh, adventuring on worlds that are far advanced over what we consider to be our present civilization on Earth. Uh, this, you know, we're we're not talking about the, you know, the the simple stuff like the Buck Rogers stuff. You know, we're uh, we're talking about really advanced stuff. So we're going to go over all the different things we can think of. And of course, where you're welcome to chime in later on our various Facebook and other uh, Discord and other servers to let us know what you think would be something we missed. Anyways, so when you go to these alien worlds by whatever means that you do, by teleportation, by you know, psychic travel, you know, being in, a ca- in an Indian cave and um, smelling a lot of weird vapors, or whether you go through some kind of a portal system, uh, you find yourself in a world that you may not recognize immediately as being advanced, uh, because things there are, in fact, so advanced that, well, I don't want to, you know, they're unrecognizable as being advanced. So how, what does that mean practically? Beyond human comprehension. I don't think that's what we're saying here. We're saying is that sometimes you just don't recognize it as being advanced because you look at it and you say, oh, well, it's this. Okay. For example, you go to a world that essentially looks like it is the Wild West down to the finest detail, you know, like in the Star Trek, well, even more advanced than the Star Trek uh, 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 shore leave episode. Yeah, actually, I think Organians would be a good example because they, you know, they were walking around like you know a medieval village. No, these are beings of pure light. They're just doing this so that so we wouldn't be freaked out. Right. So what I'm saying is that let's say the aliens, you know, if this is a, you know in a truly advanced technology, they would be able to do things like capture all the information they needed to in order to recreate an environment, uh, and recreate anything. Like you know, like I said, it's uh, it's a, an old west setting. Okay, uh, everything has the right amount of of uh, decay on it. Uh, all the wood has the right amount of weathering. All the horses, you know, they're the they they're from they're the right amount of, of various breeds. Okay, the, uh, the the dirt is the right granule size. I mean, this could have been originally just a flat, featureless world covered with nothing but bare rock and like Mars. And somebody just basically comes in and not just terraforms it into having a breathable atmosphere, but literally recreates the environment down to the smallest detail. Yeah. It's always been my theory that the Krell machine was not... For everything we know about the star Altair, there's no way the Krell code came from there. So I looked and said, I oh, you know the Krell machine is? It's a terraform machine. You land, you make a wish. It's now a breathable, livable world. Because that's what it was. It was a wish machine. Right. And they didn't really ever explain what it was that the Krell machine was, its real function was. I mean, as you said, it was a wish machine, but it didn't, it didn't really kind of give you the idea of, of, what its what its real purpose was. I really don't think it was there for you just to stand in front of it and say, I want a cookie. 
Okay, I think it was maybe a little more grandiose, like you said. Okay, you land, it basically turns the planet into, you know, a farmable soil. It's, uh, or at least, you know, a, a, a park land that you would enjoy being in with the right amount of, uh, of flowering plants and the right amount of, 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 of fruit-bearing trees, the right amount of, of uh, insects. Well, insects to support all that and predators to keep the various, you know, helper animals in check. Okay. But for some reason, no safeguards against people with bad thoughts. Well, it wasn't against bad thoughts. It was the deeper impulses. They didn't realize it would slip through. I mean, it was, it was these people probably whenever they used it intentionally, everything was fine. But when you do, but when you don't set any kind of a, I, I guess what you'd say is that there had to be a, a kind of a, a gain or a, a cutoff point where you know everything below that was basically ignored and everything above it was actually acted upon and they forgot to do that. Or if it really if they really never tested it with average users, someone went, oh, what, what? he's doing something better than me. I don't like that. I want to be able to change it, sir. You can't do that. Can you change what you can do? Yes. Then change it so I can so I can so I can punish him for doing that. Okay, change has been made, and then next day everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's where you have various. That's where you have admin access and user access and other types of things like that. So, all right. So I basically um, went through the what I thought when I was thinking about this and preparing for this session. I basically broke it down into three different major categories. Uh, one was the first category was anything that seems to negate one of the laws of physics or causality. Okay. Secondly, was precision beyond present understanding. Okay. The third one was unlimited energy. Okay. So, which one of these things would you guys like to talk about first? Mm. <clears throat> Well, let's go with the fancy stuff, the stuff beyond the laws of physics. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, because <laughs> most, I, I gotta be honest, a lot of the stuff does fall under what I call tricky science, which means it's not real science. But anyway, it doesn't matter whether it's tricky science or not. It's the fact is that it's good. They have examples. Okay. So, like the first one I have here is is wearable keys that let you pass through walls, you know, as if the walls, you know, don't aren't there. But all the rest of the time, and for everybody else, they're solid as you know, they're solid as rock, solid as steel. So this is kind of like the field. This is kind of like the field pass keys and incursion. Yeah, or for us older folks, uh, the sizzling brown from Ringworld that lets you pass through the ring through the ring walls. Okay. Well, there's another example which was uh, with Superman in the in the television series. He had the ability to use his x-ray vision to actually allow him to pass through solid steel. I thought he was vibrating himself through. No, he didn't vibrate. He was using his, well, um, okay. I don't, I mean, I don't know what the ultimate effect was because it's a television show, but he was using his x-ray vision to do it. Yeah. Basically it, it, the plot was there's a guy who decided that he's going to wait out his, uh, the, um, Statue of limitations and 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 walk scot free of a major crime, and Superman was going to walk through the wall, you know, that he couldn't see through, uh, by using his powers, and he found something much more clever. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, what he was much more clever doing. <laughs> right. Well, the point is, is that he did this, okay, and so you could do this. Now there are other ways of achieving this beyond, you know, uh, I mean, it's still super science. Okay, but you might not actually dematerialize. Okay, this could this entire structure could be uh, what we refer to as a utility fog, where it's literally a submolecular lattice of materials that, if you have the right identifier, it literally open unhooks un itself in front of you and then closes behind you as you pass through, basically rebuilding itself around you as you move. So essentially, it reacts to you. You don't actually change. Yeah, I mean that's that's the easy way of doing it. Uh, easy way. It is the hard way is is to uh, is to selectively reduce the uh, strong bonding force between atoms, and it's mostly empty space anyway, and let you walk through that way. 
there's some there's some hand waves there so you still can walk through and not fall through the floor uh but yeah yeah that's where the super science comes yeah <laughs> right so and and that's one example where you know basically you have some form of dematerialization uh -huh. you know i mean a lot of the things like you know, the star wars where the ships are going through the shields they're just passing through the shields, yet the shields are still holding the atmosphere inside these ginormous hangars. But the ships just generally just go right on through like there's no problem. How do they do that? Well, they do. You know, that's all that's all I can say. How well do they work? They work very well. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it says nothing is worn, it's all in perfect operation, operating condition. I was going to mention the next thing in the list, which was casual teleportation. Right. So you know, this is basically some form of teleportation that doesn't require a whole lot of, of, of planning or gigantic machines or anything like that. Uh, uh, Larry Niven had teleporter disks where you simply just went and stepped on a disk and it would automatically teleport you like to the next block. At which point you could step off the disc, walk around, do whatever you wanted to, and then you either stepped on the disc, went back the other direction, or you stepped on another disc and went off in another direction. And these discs were everywhere. People were always stepping on, stepping off, and the whole thing. You can remember they were only really being used on the puppeteer homeworld. Uh, back on Earth, they were still using teleporter booths, but still, it's the same. You know, you you just dial a number and pop you there. It's almost the same thing. Uh, the puppeteer teleporter discs were seven league. Booths. Boots. You just walk, and now you're a mile away. <sighs> okay. Uh, and the, the thing is, is, it's not like, you know, some, you know, it doesn't require like a, you know, a guy standing there at a transporter booth. And even though I'm not saying the transport transportation is, you know, like in Star Trek isn't super high tech. I'm just saying, though, is it this is one of these things is this is essentially built into the society to the point where people don't even think about it. They just use it. They just walk through a. They walk through an arch and they find themselves, you know, wherever, you know, it just, there's a big blinking light saying, come to the festival. And you just walk through the poor, you know, walk through the arch and you're at the festival. That kind of, that kind of casual use of, of dislocation technology. Yeah. Larry Niven actually did a wonderful series of stories about the, the, the effects of, of teleportation and, and easy teleportation. Uh, he, you know, he's the first one that came up with the idea of flash mobs. Only his flash mobs, people are coming from around the world to go to one spot. So all of a sudden you had like a thousand or 10,000 people there. Yeah, just showing up and popping out of the booths. Uh, he also worked out what the effects would be of teleportation. You know, uh, if you go north or south, you're, you're going to start whacking against the wall because you still have your rotational speed from being, you know, near to the equator. And if you go up, you'll get, you'll get cold. If you come down from a great height, you get really hot. So you have to have some way to compensate for that. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some, some very large mass in the uh, Pacific ocean, I think that would absorb it all. And you know, and they said you you yourself and the guy out there watching it was here to go, but doing going, oh, something big just came down or went went or went north. <laughs> and we're talking, yeah. So you might see an effect off in some basically the equivalent of a heat sink somewhere, but the actual in, individual object involved never really, you know, was 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 barely affected. So yeah. And that's what we want. We want basically to be able to walk around as if you were just walking around, except that we're, we're jumping tens of feet, miles, leagues, possibly, you know, continents. No. Or, 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 yeah, I could see, you know, uh, there's equivalent in Minecraft. It always is equivalent. Uh, there's elevators. You step in the elevator, you jump up, you go up, a, you go up a level, you crouch down, you go down a level. Right. But, but here, you know, here's the point, John. And that is, is that, you know, this is under the topic of negates one of the laws of physics or causality. Okay. So what we're talking about here is where people go and they move these great distances and they are in fact automatically negating things like, you know, orbital velocity and such. Is that anytime people do teleportation in any story, whether it's psychic or anything else, you almost never have somebody who basically has an effect as a result of doing it. 
Yeah, no, no one you know, goes from the equator to say New York City and goes through the walls because they're moving at about thousand thousand miles an hour. Never happens. The only time I ever heard of uh, teleporting and Earth's rotation was in the Marvel comic Alpha Flight, the original Guardian. Mm. Um, basically, the guy that helped Wolverine come in out of the wilderness and help nurse him, uh, James O'Connell, I think his his name was. But he had the Guardian suit, and the and the the principles of it had to do with Earth's teleportation. Where basically he would like hold in place, and the Earth would. But that's how he teleported. So that's the only time I ever heard of these references like this. Yeah. Well, yeah, because if you're like on one side of the world, you're basically going to the right. And if you teleport the other side of the world, everything is going to the left because it's rotating. So therefore, your all your velocity is to the right. So essentially, if you were standing next to a wall, you would hit that wall with the the velocity that you had going to the right, plus the velocity of it moving to the left, which is why you know I'm saying teleportation should be really dangerous. But in a, in the case of where we're, we're talking about this ultra ultra science or super science, it's just all taken care of by you know the the, the calculations or whatever, and and you you basically walk out like it's nothing. One version is quantum tel- uh, quantum tunneling, uh, where you basically uh, tunnel through, I mean, it, it tunnel through, but the longest quantum tunneling I've ever heard of was not that far. Uh, and it was with, with particles. And after you read about how it re- actually works, you go, oh, so the particle, particle basically goes back into the quantum foam and a new particle gets created over here. But it's the same particle because it has all the same attributes and the same spin, all that stuff. Oh, okay. Well, that that's the that that's balancing the equation from you know the outer limit story, where the other person gets destroyed on one end because they're re- they're creating a new version of or basically a duplicate of them at the other end. But there's actually no <laughs> the only thing that transfers between the two of them is information. You know, the no actual mass is moved between one or the other, and that's why when something bad happens and the person doesn't get destroyed on this end, they end up saying, well, you have to destroy them. You have to kill them because otherwise the, the equations are balanced and, and we're going to you know, basically stop being your buddies <laughs> because it was a uh, sociological thing. Yeah. I can't remember who it was who wrote it, but it was a story about um, basically humanity has been, you know, given, Wonderful tools they can't they can't make, but they they they've been given the benefit of oh you're you're you you breed like rabbits and you're expendable, and the tra- teleportation device just scans you, and then makes a copy someplace else light years away. It takes light speed to get there, so you know it's not it's not it's a tr- it's a transportation network, but it's not one that you really are go- you know basically a copy would go someplace and they use them for danger and they use humans for dangerous exploration because you just hold the hold the hold their uh, information in the in the buffers and if they get killed you make a new one and send them down there again and just keep re- you know rinse and repeat until you finally figure out what the hell's going on <laughs> Uh, wonderful, great little story. Or, or I remember one where they were they were taking people, and part of the process was they were going to lobotomize them. John, John, it's not our topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but but yeah, it's been a version of, of teleportation where you don't destroy the original. The original's still back on Earth. His copy someplace else. So it's kind of like the whole John Carter thing. But it doesn't matter because we're talking about you know, what it's like to live on this planet where they have this teleportation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Teleportation would change, but you know, as Niven pointed out, it changes a lot of things. If you, you, know, you can live anywhere. If you got these teleporters, you can live anywhere. You know, I can live in the middle of the Amazon forest and have my be- and ha- bedroom in Penelope, New York, and I can have my bathroom in Fiji. Cause Fiji deserves that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, your house could basically be, you know, distributed. You know, you walk through a doorway, you're actually physically in another part of the world. That's another version of casual teleportation. I like that example. So everybody doesn't actually live in one location. They literally live in a dozen locations, depending upon how many rooms they have in their dwelling. 
Oh yeah. I mean, and, and I love some of the things he did. Like, uh, uh was one of the richest men in, in known space. This is one of his known space stories. Uh, could, could, you know, partly because he was the guy whose family made, uh, te- made uh, teleporters was able to make one so small. You can fit it into a, into a uh, shot glass. So your shot glass always stayed full. Nice. <laughs> It would never run out. <laughs> well, until the until the, the where was pulling the booze from would run out. All right, let's move on to number three. Indestructible materials. Scrith. Puppeteer Hell Metal. Puppeteer Hell, which we which we discover, spoilers, is actually one giant molecule. Yep. Uh Scrith, actually, no, Puppeteer Hell Metal is actually normal. Ma- I think it's just simple normal matter. I, I've it's one giant molecule, John. Yeah, where they've increased the strong, the the strong force and the weak force. It pulls it together. What? I, I don't know what I don't know what the pseudoscience is beyond it, but that was the point. Was the fact it was so tough because literally it was one molecule with all those strong forces operating, not like regular matter where things are just kind of sticking to each other because they happen to be near each other. Yeah. Now, what Scrith was, we never did find out. Scrith is the other ma- magic material. Is what Ring World was made of, that you could spin fast enough to have one g of gravity on the surface, right? At one AU uh, radius. So yeah, it had to be something god awfully strong, and it, whatever it was made of, it stretched like taffy when it got hit hard. The, the uh, fist of God, which was the result of a uh, uh, impact from a from a asteroid. From the backside, and it stretched like taffy, making a mountain. I'm seeing it here where it says indestructible materials, and you have puppeteer shells. I don't get the puppeteer shells reference. That those were the spaceship uh, hulls that John was talking about. There was like there was un- there. Was, I think they called them like universal one through six. They were different sizes. They were transparent. Yeah, the comp- the corporation was General Products. Yeah, and the point was that nothing that had ever happened could ever penetrate that, you know, one of those shells. You know, I mean, things that should have destroyed them didn't do anything. And there was only one thing in the entire universe, as it turns out, that could destroy them. And I won't give that spoiler away. Theoretically, you could land one on a neutron star and it will still be there. Everyone inside, everything inside, of course, is not made out of puppeteer hell metal. will be a fine pool on the ship. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, can you think of any examples, uh, Trav, that de- basically doesn't fall into the magic category that would be indestructible? I got nothing. Yeah, you guys are 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 bringing up references I've never even heard of, and I'm just like, all right. But yeah, that's why I asked about the puppeteer shells. Yeah. Right. If you put the um, uh, the Thor Ragnarok aside, Thor's hammer pretty much is what would be considered an indestructible object. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, if you look in Marvel, Adamantia is the one of the most strongest things in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, those two metals, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a cheat because I'm not sure that, that vibranium is actually that tough. It's just the fact that it absorbs all kinetic energy, so it's kind of hard to penetrate it. Because everything just stops when it hits it, but um, adamantium, which is was was basically the DC version of vibranium that they used in Cyborg and other things, uh, was supposed to be like super super tough. But the Skylark of Space series, uh, they had a material that they found on these these planets. They, they it was interesting. They they were all like super science planets, but the cultures were like very aggressive, warlike, almost tribal in nature. So, you know, and, and the humans had much better culture, more advanced culture. They had better science. So uh but they got there and you know they, their their ship, which was made out of like six inches of steel. You know, uh, like the like a battleship basically got torn to bits by going through a battle, and they're all like, you know, what? Why are you using that crappy, you know, weak stuff like steel? Why aren't you using our, you know, uh, osmonium or whatever? There was actually three different versions of it. Um, uh, I think the last one was called Innocent, Uh, but 
they essentially had this material that's like plastic. And what they would do is, is that they they would take this and they would put a salt solution on it, which acted like a catalyst. They ran electricity through it, and it would transform into this super tough material that they're really you could burn, you could destroy it by incinerating it. Okay, but that was the only way you couldn't break it, you couldn't pull it apart, you couldn't tear it. You could only literally vaporize it molecule by molecule, you know, to get through it. So that was that was this and, and everything that was you know uh, even the most advanced cultures you know had this stuff and the ultimate version of it was Inosan, which the most high tech race in the 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 series had. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, oh, yeah. there's there's actually is uh, material, and I keep forgetting about. It. I always remember it. Think about flubber. <laughs> it is indestructible. Okay. Once it once it kneels and you and you vulcanize it, flubber is indestructible. It makes sense. <laughs> I think the only thing it can hurt is heat. But you yeah. can tear it. Yeah, and I think heat will hurt too. But what? But you could make a suit out. You can make arm flubber, and those bulls just bounce right off. Well, that was one of the things that they did in that series. Okay, the people would walk around with like you know a sixteenth of an inch of this stuff around their bodies as like body armor, and like it would it would. It, it it would take like a, thir- a 20, a 20 millimeter shell to get through it. That's how tough this was. It, they, they talked about how, you know, they were standing around and all of a sudden they got hit with machine gun fire. And it was really weird to see the bullets deform in front of their eyes, you know, as, as, as the stuff smacked literally into like a space just beyond their eyeballs. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, there's plenty of stuff in, you know, like nth metal from DC. Uh, that's what the Hawkmen use for their various device, various things. Uh, I'm just going through the list of, of, of comic book metals. Omnium. Uh, what is that from? Oh, from X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. Omnium. It's a, what is it? Uh, that's called indestructible. Though, even though other metals are more indestructible. Um <laughs> Uh, nigh invulnerable, says the tick. <laughs> Uru, but Uru is, of course, magical metal. Yeah, yeah. stay away from the that's, magic. That's stuff. Thor's hammer. Yeah. What? But it was. But it was constructed in the center of a neutron star. So the idea was that it was. It, it, that somehow made the material so ultra tough. Ultra dense. Uh, but yeah, it, there's. I mean, I'm trying to think. Other thing. Didn't the Martians have something? I don't recall. I don't think so, but I'm, I, I haven't read the entire Mars series if you're talking about Burroughs. Or Plasteel, which is the name sort of tells you everything you need to know about. <laughs> Plasteel. All right. not, not really. I mean, steel is plastic. I mean, all steel is plastic at the right temperature. It has the toughness of steel. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, basically it's carbon. It's basically graphite. It's you know, graph, gra- graphene plates with reinforcements. So okay, so uh, that's all I can think of as far as indestructible materials. But of course, you know, if you have indestructible materials, that means that they can be ty- really, really thin. You know, I mean, you can make objects out of things, and and they can be really big, but they don't use hardly any materials at all because. They're made out of indestructible materials, so you don't need a, a, a you know you don't need to make walls three foot thick or whatever because it just takes you know a, a film, Frank. You know, uh, as long as it has the requisite uh, stiffness that you need for other types of things, the, your your entire ship could be made out of you know something with the the alt the weight of of a of, of a soap bubble. Yeah, and if it doesn't have any drastic thermal expansion you don't need seals you just make everything airtight you know door closes it's tight there's no need for a seal so you sell that weakness right there not having to have a seal there uh, some sort of seal material like rubber whatever it's everything's designed to fit perfectly and it doesn't vacuum weld so you're not stuck in there forever uh oh that would that would suck yeah, yeah, but that's where it's nice to have these kinds of things where you, uh, you you basically put down some kind of material and then you go through some transformational process like they did in Skylar of the Space because they what they did was is that they uh, 
they, they made, they, they said, well, oh, how, how much do you want? Our ships have a quarter inch. He says, well, we got six inches. Everything is designed for six inches. Let's just, you know, put six inches of this stuff. And they're all like, okay. <laughs> they're just boggling at this thought, you know, it's quarter inch to six inches. Sure. 24 times as much. Yeah, okay. So and they, and they do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, for puppeteer Hull spaceships, the only really weak spot was, of course, the airlock. You know, yeah. it, it's the only thing they actually had to have uh, seals on the door because they actually couldn't make them airtight. So that was the only weak spot on, spot on a puppeteer ship. But, you know, they had another way of de defending themselves, which they later used in the Throne of Ringworld. Uh, they suddenly realized, oh, we can defend our ships a different way. In fact, it did. In fact, it defended the ship that way in Ringworld, and we'll wait until we get to that one. When those no, no spoilers, not yet. <laughs> to continue, what I was saying is that so after they made this stuff, it was basically like plastic. They would then they then cut out the holes they needed for all the fixtures and to put the like the the sensors through and and all the various you know the as you say the airlock fixtures they needed to attach the airlock and everything. And then after they got done with all that, that's when they flashed it off into this material because after that, they couldn't cut it. They couldn't cut it. They couldn't burn. I mean, it was done. So you wanted to be sure you were absolutely happy with everything before you ran that final process. Uh, and after, and what happened was in the, in the story, uh, at the end of the first book, they're in a combat, and the bad guys basically go and turn on some kind of ray on them, and it causes all their gun barrels to literally melt and just bend over. And they're like, "Well, okay, we're screwed now. You know, we we can't fire, we can't do anything." And and the captain says, "We can do something," and proceeded to use the entire ship as a projectile and just ramming through that quarter inch. <laughs> of material that was on all the other ships because apparently moving at a high enough speed, even indestructible materials would get a hole in them. Makes you wonder why they never put warp drives on, on photon torpedoes so that they can hit, hit things. I always wondered about that. Just, yeah. the de And then of course we see in, and folks, it's been what a year, no spoilers here about episode eight. The big scene, yeah, with the ship, yeah, great scene. I wish they'd done it in. I wish they'd done it more. <laughs> it would change everything if every small little speeder, the size of the the Millennium Falcon, could suddenly turn itself into a in, into a, a destroyer class, you know, just weapon. Problem is, it's a suicide run. That's why nobody did it. <laughs> well, also, if the ships have their shields up, it doesn't work because you see that happening in uh, in the um, uh, the prequel one with Ray, uh, not with Ray. Uh, oh, the one where everyone dies. Oh, Rogue One. Okay, no, Brain, Brain. Yeah, Rogue, Rogue one. one. Yeah, Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, Rogue One. Yeah, because they're they're busy. Trying to hyperspace out, and here comes the uh, Imperial destroyers, and they bounce off the shields at, at at hyperspeed. So once the shields are up, and that also makes no sense. Okay, how could their shields be possibly tough enough to deflect something moving at hyperspeed? I, uh, it's all it's all magic, guys. Sorry, everyone, take your right hand, hold it out, wave real hard, wave real hard. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, let's move on to number four. Uh, items that exist in a miniaturized state until needed. So, uh, you know, mass reduction as well as uh, mass reduction probably occurs as well, or it seems that it does. So um, there's two really good examples of that. Uh, one was, uh, was a television, was a movie that was then uh, nicely uh, novelized in an entirely different way called the fantastic voyage. Yep. I remember uh, yeah. the animated series. Yeah. Because when I, I, Asimov got his hands on the property, he said, I ain't writing this story the way you guys did it on the screen. I'm going to have it make sense. And he proceeded to write an entirely different story. Same general plot granted, but it, it's, if you've never read the fantastic voyage from high, uh, not high, uh, Isaac Asimov, and you think it's just like the, uh, the, the 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 movie with you know Boyd and and uh, Rocket Welsh, 
It's not. It's nothing like it. So you should you should go ahead and and, and treat yourself to that. Yeah, he he did point out one fact. They need to get the Proteus out. If they didn't get the Proteus out, it goes bing inside the guy's head. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's I always felt that way, even when I watched the other one. Um, but the point here is, is that they were. I mean, they they made people tiny, tiny, and. And they they didn't and they and they didn't have all the mass that they would have, so they were moving around inside, being affected by turbulence of the bloodstream and everything else, because they literally had somehow their mass was hidden, and so they reacted as if they were something of that size. I remember reading in one of his uh, stories where he was talking about maturation and about, about writing about this novel, how he said, yeah, it's basically impossible uh, unless you can find some way to shunt all that mass someplace. Yeah. You have to, you have to hide the mass somehow. Sure. Okay. Or you don't, or you could, for example, take an object and just squish it down to tiny, tiny, tiny. And somehow, as you said, you know, use the binding molecules, increase the binding forces you know, of the atoms, so they actually will shrink down to something really tiny. And yes, you pick you pick it up, you put it someplace, and it weighs still the same amount, but it takes up no space at all. So if you're in a situation where the issue is not how much it weighs, but how much space it takes, now you're golden. You know, you can have an entire uh, car uh, collection, you know, of 150 sports cars, and it all takes place in the size of let's say a two car garage, because you just simply go and take it, takes the car you want, you know, move it over into position. It grows up to normal size. You open the door, get in, drive away. That's super science. That's, and that's completely believable. It doesn't, you know, how that happens, who we don't know. That's the super science part of it, but it makes sense. Or you can do what the flash did and, uh, and basically take his outfit and super compress it using vibrating into so it fits inside a ring. He never said he got rid of the mass. So that was what do you think his, his suit weighed? About a pound? It, it was it was basically spray on paint. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, all superheroes in comic books are basically naked. We all know that. <laughs> okay. No, no costume in, ever ever fits that tightly unless you literally paint it on. I mean, the the whole thing with mass reduction right now the big thing that a lot of people will relate to as far as this particular topic mm -hmm. is the two ant-man movies that came out ant-man and now ant-man and the wasp which just came out as of this taping like a month ago mm -hmm. and uh perky goth you know on my show and Maysville co-creator went to see it loved it she goes if i do go into your, one of your superhero campaigns i want size changing and then she looks at me and says if you shrink below the size of an air molecule, how do you breathe? And I look at her and say, they've only been asking that question now for the past 60 years in comics. We don't have an answer yet. You have to bring your own air with you. It's the only only logical answer. And that's, and that's what they did. Yeah, that's what they did in uh, the Fantastic Voyage. At one point, they lost air like they did in the movie. Okay, they never they never really went into what happened to the air they lost, but they lost air and they needed more air, so they went into the lungs and they put a tube through, and on the end of the tube, they had a had a, a small miniaturizer, basically the same thing that shrunk the entire ship, but it was like you know the size of a bread box, you know, a a, a backpack. And it and and so the they, as they suck the air in, they miniaturized the air and brought it down the tube so it would be a proper ratio to what they were currently. Yeah, unfortunately, if you think about the amount of air air in one uh, one air sac, we're saying, oh wow, I got we got we got we got we got a teaspoon of air. Didn't say it didn't take a while. Okay, it did take a while. What was that one uh, movie? Dennis Quaid, Martin Short. Inner space, inner space, where he's there all gasping for air, and I forget who was watching with me. Goes, why don't they just open the airlock every so often to get air out of there? And it's it's one of those moments where raise finger, open mouth, like ah, yeah, <laughs> just like I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you let that air out, you know, of the ship, then when it goes out of miniaturization, it's going to basically be like a, he's going to have an embolism. Yeah, yeah. 
in inner space. You got shrunk down. You stayed shrunk down. So, yes, the bad guy got digested. Yeah. Congratulations, Jack. You digested the bad guy and just Martin Short's already burps. <laughs> More likely got pooped out. I don't know what could, uh, you know, could break down his molecules considering he was miniaturized. In the movie Ultraviolet, okay, where we had um, basically a lot of vampires versus, you know, cyber, cyber tech assassins, um, we had a girl who had what was called folded space. And so she was able to stuff essentially the armory that you see in, Ma- in the Matrix into her arm. Oh, God, I haven't seen that movie in ages. Wow. Yeah, I think something similar was also in the movie Flux where she had all her gear hidden away in miniaturized some in hammer space as it's normally called. Well, they called it folded space because that was essentially explaining that how they could get all that stuff in there. Yeah. But yeah, she had the same, something similar to. Yeah. It's almost like um, in D 20 future tech, they got the stuff called digital bracers where you could have your armor digitized and with, you know, hitting a button, it appears on you or, digitized weaponry again the bracer or the glove kind of like a technological version of um gloves of storing uh-huh. where mm-hmm. it just shrinks it down through digitization and then it just appears in your hand you've got you know fully loaded weapon or whatever in, in the movie they would show this this object suddenly squashing flat and then she just slide it into basically this this uh, well sleeve Okay, and and just kept pushing more and more stuff in there, and that you know, and, and that that was the hand waving that said, "Yeah, it goes somewhere. I don't have to worry about it because I, I'm not a techie person." But whenever I need a a gun, I just pull it out and snap it. It snaps into the proper size, and I get to start using it. Yeah, it, it's up there with the uh, body armor in the movie version of Lost in Space. Yeah, Matt LeBanc. Uh, basically brings all his armor up. He's not wearing armor. Now he's now he's wearing armor. It, yeah, it literally unfolds around his head. Yeah. Yeah, that was very cool. I liked what I liked what they did there. Yeah, and you look how thick it is. You're going, where the heck was that being stored? That stuff is thick. It's like a quarter inch thick. Yeah, well, it, it yeah, it just, you know, it's flat and then it basically folds itself into a box, you know, and then now it has depth. Yeah, it's it's just it's just it's just basically bending and re, re it's, it's it's tinker toys, you know, at the microscopic level, and it just basically becomes whatever. Again, you know, we're talking essentially uh, utility fog, you know, where microscopic, you know, particles interact and link with each other, forming much larger structures than they than they they would otherwise. Yeah, ignoring the fact how much heat they would generate in the process. But we know, like we said, this is, you know, far future. We don't know. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it could also get cold. I mean, a lot of times I've seen them do this kind of stuff and, and they, and they actually make, they draw heat from the environment, you know, and they actually get colder doing this. So I don't know. Two ways of powering it. You, you bathe the area in microwaves. Think that one for a second. Think about that one for a second. Or like you said, you pull the you pull from ambient heat. Yeah. 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 I mean, it just depends on. I mean, you know, I, I I don't try to understand the physics of it. Okay, but yes, uh, real utility fog. One of the big limitators that keeps it from actually happening so far is the fact is that essentially every little molecule setup. I mean, a couple of molecules in size is a node, and it's a computer. But if it uses our standard methodology of computer memory, it's constantly refreshing itself, and that takes power. So any utility fog of any size would just be generating a ton of heat. But if you say, okay, now let's let's think about a computer memory structure where it doesn't do that, where basically it puts the, you know, the, the bits where they need to be, and they just stay there until you want to move them around. Now, all of a sudden, the memory requirements dropped almost nothing. And you're really getting, now you're talking about when these things fold and unfold, you know, so they do things, they actually exert force. That's where the heat starts getting generated. So if a utility fog that's just sitting around doing nothing basically shouldn't use any heat at all. And then you can say, well, yeah, it is using heat, but some of the utility fog is also carrying some of that heat away. So in this, in the area that you're talking about, maybe it's nice and comfortable. Some distance away, it might be getting pretty toasty. Uh, there's ways of looking at it. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, is there anything else that uh, they use that's that exists in a miniaturized state until needed? Uh, I mean, I can think of a lot of useful things, but I'm trying to think of examples. Other than Reed Richards going shrink, also coming up with a shrink ray and discovering the micronauts. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. That crazy Reed Richards. Yeah. Hey, they, he's right. getting, they're getting their book back. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Uh, oh, I actually do have another one. Any uh, Anybody who's uh, seen the Pleistocene era series by Julian May, uh, the in, in the future, everything is inflatable. It kind of takes the two pro things. So uh, shut up, John. <laughs> uh, so if you want a house, literally, you, you have this thing that's the size of, you know, a, a stick of gum. And you just press a button on it. And it just starts pumping air, ambient air into it. It just unfolds, gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you end up with a house, okay, because it's inflated. Everything's inflated. So you have tiny, big objects are really tiny, and um, you just decide what, how many pieces, because they can be so tiny and they're so strong, you can basically build really big structures that way uh, with only a little thing. So people in a backpack, this is how you negate the weight, by the way, is that you don't, the weight was never part of it until you need it. You literally suck in water, you suck in moist you know, uh, uh, atmosphere, now, you know, the, the power is coming from somewhere, but we're hand-waving that away for right now. Um, and you just make whatever things you can literally make a building out of something the size of a brick because it just, as you as you were talking about, John, it just unfolds and unfolds because it's actually inflating because the material it's made out of is so tough. It's that, it's that you know, uh, that uh, indestructible material so it can be ultra, ultra thin and ends up with gigantic things. Now, if it doesn't have any weight, you might have a problem with your building blowing away. But I'm sure that that's they would get around that somehow by sucking in water as well as air, or you know somehow you know just being really well attached to the bomb in the first place. I don't know, but that was in the premise of the whole thing. All these people were had all this gear for them, and they were going to send them back in time to the Pleistocene era because they were being. Basically, they were being thrown out of society. They were they were either criminals or people who just didn't fit in. And they said, "Okay, I rather than living under your society, which I abhor, I'd rather go to this other place where I can do whatever I want to." It's so far in the past; it will never affect the present the present timeline. Yeah, but I want all my gear, of course. Yeah, when you mentioned that, I reminded of the other place I've seen that kind of technology, the unfolding thing. Capsule Corporation from Dragon Ball. <laughs> okay, I'd never see that. Yeah, basically, right. uh, they 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 have these little capsules, and you each one has different vehicles or different things. You can get a whole building on one, and poop, there it is, and it's all based on something called Dino Caps. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can imagine going to a world where this is common, where it's like you literally go into a store and they just simply say, "Okay, we we got a dozen buildings for you. All you have to do is pony up the our version of credits." And you can take it, take it, literally take take your your dream home with you today, and just pull pull the button and uh, or push the button or pull the string, and poof! It, it, it over a period of time, it grows into shape, and there you are. Uh, with with capsule tech, it's more or less you twist, hit, and throw, and stand back. But you know, it's <laughs> you know, poof! There you go. You got a house. Yeah, that's just a special effect, John. <laughs> but essentially, it's the same thing. It's, it's miniaturized in such a way that they either have to hide the mass or they have to get the mass from somewhere or they don't need the mass. It's just a, it's such a super tough material that any amount of it, as long as it's got the rigidity it needs, it basically takes you know the place. And so you can they literally can build spanning bridges across you know that dome, that, the impossible domes over cities. Okay, can be done with material like this. Yeah, I mean, basically, it takes air, which is CO two, water, and it makes plastic because that's pretty much what plastic is: carbon, uh, carbon, low oxygen, and uh, hydrogen. Poof, you make plastics. <laughs> that's true. Yep, and you and you, there you and there you are standing in an ultra pure oxygen atmosphere. Actually, it gets done making it, making it. Don't let a match. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. 
Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Again, we're talking about things that seem to gate one of the laws of physics or causality. Okay. So moving on to time travel, which I actually will say mm, that one shouldn't be on the list. It shouldn't be. <laughs> well, the reason why it shouldn't be on the list is because there's enough evidence right now that time travel is might be possible. We might be in the universe where you can actually time travel, and we've already figured out a few ways of doing it. Uh, they do require, yes, they do require, you know, amount of power and so forth, but eh, we might be able to make time machines. <laughs> okay. Just... You know, I mean, uh, the, the mechanical example is wormholes. You create, you get a wormhole, and you just move one at a speed of light, and you keep the other one stationary, and they'll be separated in both in space and time. You just need another one to come back, and now you have a loop that goes into the future or goes in the past, depending on which way you go. The distance is however long it took it to get to where it got where it got to, and you brought the loop back. That's how far back in the past it will go. So it's more a set, but still, it's it's possible. Now, if you're talking H.G. Wells time machine, that goes on this list. <laughs> uh, from the looks of it, it was more like a time compression because you know he was lit. You know, if you if you especially if you've seen the movie version of it, is everything moving so quickly around him? You know, he. he at one point, he was uh, surrounded by a brickwork or ground or earth or something like that. Oh, he was covered in lava. He didn't. Yeah, he didn't suffocate because he was able to go fast enough, time compression fast enough, so that he didn't uh, run out of air before it wore away by normal erosion. Yeah. Um, basically, that version is is more or less creating like a stasis field. I mean, he basically slowed his time down to the point where he was barely moving. Uh, Larry Niven used stasis fields. And once you got him down to a certain point, they looked like silver statues or silver silver bubbles because nothing can actually affect anything that's inside from the outside. And inside, everything just goes, and you're there. Right. But how would this be like on a world? Okay. I would... How would this make sense if you went to a, a world where you had this? Okay, how would you know? I mean, both backwards and forwards, so that I can actually go to the future and come back. It's time travel, time dilation, and time compression. Well, time dilation just go fast, really fast. No, time dilation is get really well. Yes, but that doesn't help you on a planet, John. Well, we are right now. All of us right now are going through time dilation. If you went up the up the orbit where the ISS is, they're like one thousandth of a second faster than we are. So we are in fact going through time dilation. I think you're missing the point here, John. Well, time dilation usually involves accelerating close to the speed of light when you talk about. Yeah, no, it it doesn't. All it means is for you, time travels slower than the surrounding world. All right. That's all so, it means. Okay. So, and as an example, uh, the series Day World. Mm -hmm. Ooh, Philip Jose Farmer. Yes. Yes. Where um, there were so many people on the planet that they, they couldn't, the planet couldn't support all the people. So they said, okay, we're going to divide everything in, everybody in this groups of seven. Okay. Not, not there's seven in a group. I mean, there's like the world is split into seven parts. Okay, you go and you get to live normally on Monday. The next group gets to live normally on Tuesday, so on and so forth. And everybody who, when it's not their day, they're in a, they're basically in a stasis field. They're, 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 they're basically slowed down to the point where for them, no time has passed. And they basically get in, they click the button, and then, and basically, and, and, and then they, get, and they just step out because now it's the next day because, seven days have gone by and they didn't notice it and they go out and hopefully the other people have properly put things away, you know, and, and, and put things back the way they should be for, for you to be. And you go into your little bins and you pull your Monday stuff out, or maybe the house automatically pulls the Monday stuff out for you because it's your turn. Uh, and that's how this, this entire world that would be massively overpopulated and there's no way they'd be able to support themselves were able to support seven times that population. Yeah, I mean, there was a Werner Vinge uh, series, his uh, 
real-time bubble series. Basically, the Peace War, the Ungoverned, and Maroon in real time worked around that. Basically, it also uses favorite uh, topic of, ta- of the singularity, which is another thing altogether. But basically, where, yeah, uh, you can use the device to bobble a section of reality and yeah, it just disappeared. It was no longer oh, part, okay. of the, part of normal t- normal normal universe, and you could bubble back things things back and forth and travel around uh, through the future. It was only one way travel. You couldn't back in the past, but you could always go to the future, and you can go as fast as you want or as slow as you want. Uh, Maroon is real time, as someone, as the tale says, gets left behind and isn't bobbled, and she lives out her life waiting for everyone to come back, and she you know dies. Okay, but again, how would this work if you went to a world where they had this? Oh, in his stories, it was just horrendous. Whole cities were bobbled. So basically, it could be weaponized, people weaponize it. Oh, okay. okay. I, I don't understand how this works, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you, you know, uh, well, how would it be like? Well, yeah, you could have a higher population. Yeah, if you go to a world where you have this as part of their their world, their society, how would this? What would you? What would this world look like? What would their world be like if you went there? Ooh, there there are a couple of games out there that deal with deal with this topic. Um, but I would say it's if everyone can do it, then it's uh, it'd be chaos. I mean, are you absolutely sure that you aren't your own father? <laughs> Yeah, one of those things. Yeah, I mean it's. It... So maybe maybe you can think of another example, uh, Trav. You got one. Uh I do like the day world example. I I. And as far as you said that everything was coated in silver when they're being that was John uh, time compressed. Okay, because I were in in one of my supplements. It's called oh god, what is it? Temporal fossilization, I think they refer to it as. Yeah, stasis field by any other name. Yeah, right, right, right. But they, it's a superpower where you touch them and sort of this bluish aura appears and they're just like locked out of time. They can't interact and you could literally pick them up like a statue and carry them. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, nothing else really comes to mind. No, time dilation for me, usually when I hear that, it's like in stories where you're doing you're approaching the speed of light and time dilation occurs that's the only time i've ever really heard of that term yeah well they they use it but they don't call it that whenever they do like hibernation yeah well yeah I mean, yeah you know if you take somebody and you put them and say okay you're sick we're going to wait a thousand years and then maybe you can be better you know then they you know, I mean, they they say, okay, we're going to freeze you, or we're going to do something, but they could easily just say, we're going to put you into a time di- a time dilation field so that you don't age or your body reactions don't occur until it, it until you turn it off. Well, it, it, I was going to say until it basically drops, until it collapses. No, 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 no. We don't we don't want to put anybody in 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 stasis or anything. They end up waking in a world like idiocracy. No. Um, <laughs> oh, or you get things waking up like, like, uh, I think his name was Pazal from World of Thrints, a former slaver, um, who you know then tries to take over the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. things like that to worry about. That's from a Larry Niven story, uh, but yeah, you know, actually, I think of your idea that you know, uh, well, the, the day world where basically people, yeah, we got we got seven billion people, we can only support one. So your Tuesday, your Thursday, your Friday, your Saturday. Well, that was the whole point of Day World was that there were people who hacked this. And I, Philip Jose Farmer is one of my favorite authors. I love the River World series. I started Day World. I couldn't get all the way through it. But yeah, there were people that hacked that system and they had seven different ideas or however many days they wanted to hack. And so these people would be living all week long dodging the system, knowing that if they got caught, they were done. They'd only live one-seventh the lifespan of everybody else because they were you know, living seven times as long per day. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it's like, you're looking really, you're, you're gray. You're only 20. What's going on? 
This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.